We are in chapter 24 of Genesis, chapter 24, almost halfway through, because there's 50 chapters, so anyways, chapter 24 of the book of Genesis, why don't you turn there, and while you guys turn there, I will start us off with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity again to study your word. We're thankful that we have that opportunity to come together as fellow believers in Christ to study your word in community uh, week by week by week. Um, and for fathers, in this way, God, I, I believe that we best learn and grow um, is through not only the study of your word by ourselves in our own um, private moments, but with other believers, being able to discuss it and understand it and apply it. So we pray that you would help us in that endeavor today to study this long passage and to understand you better and to understand how we might live out our faith. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. All right. Good morning, guys. Um, we're getting a little bit of feedback, but I think it'll be okay. Today we are in chapter 24. Chapter 24 is a very long chapter. Okay, it's 67 verses. But really, it's difficult to split up the chapter into multiple um, lessons. So we are going to do our best and try to get through this entire chapter in one sitting. Um, dream on. Well, I think, we're, I think it's going to have to happen. This is kind of how the story has to be done. Um, so we're going to go... See if we can get through chapter 24. Um, last week, we went through uh, chapter 23, of course, and that was the death of Sarah. Um, for those of you that might remember, uh, chapter 23, we saw the death of a major character, Sarah, at the age of 127. Okay, And she died at uh, Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the story we followed what, uh, concerned Abraham's grief over his wife's death and his attempt to legally obtain a piece of land in Canaan so that he can bury her properly. And as you know, it's difficult to, as a resident alien, rare, almost impossible even, to purchase a piece of land uh, as a resident alien, which is what Abraham was. He was offered exquisite Hittite tombs, but he refused because he wanted to bury her in his own land. Um, although the sons of Heth were hesitant at first to actually sell a piece of their property to this resident alien, this foreigner, uh, we saw Abraham finally negotiate with a man named Ephron of Zohar, who was also a son of Heth, a Hittite. Um, Ephron offered him the cave of Machpelah for sale, as well as the adjoining field, knowing that Abraham had the silver to pay for them. And Abraham paid the not small fee of 400 shekels of silver for these pieces of land. So it came about, therefore, that God's promise to Abraham had begun to be fulfilled, that he would give the land of the Canaanites to Abraham and his descendants. And Sarah, his beloved wife, was able to be buried in her own promised land. So it is no coincidence that immediately after, chap chapter, after the chapter where we lose the matriarch of the Abrahamic generation, that we meet the new matriarch of the new generation, Isaac's generation, 
his wife, Rebecca. So today is the story of Isaac and Rebecca. Oh, you're trying to... <laughs> Maybe. Um, so we are... Um, chapters... The end of chapter 22, chapter 23, 24, and 25, I believe, are all kind of transitional stories, transitioning us from the generation, the Toledot of Abraham, to the new generation, um, and what it meant for this generation to occur and to take place. Uh, Isaacian. Maybe, maybe, Jonathan, yeah. <laughs> okay, so we got a lot of verses to go through. Let's get started. Chapter 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife um, for my son Isaac. Okay, so we have Abraham at the end of his life. He's thinking of the future. He's thinking of his son Isaac. Isaac, as far as we know, is not yet married. Okay, now, well, not as far as we know. We know Isaac is not yet married. Why is Isaac not yet married? What might be a reason? Oh, yeah. Okay, so Joan is saying uh, it was Sarah's doing. She probably put a stop to him dating the Canaanites. Um, and that's funny. <laughs> right. Well, certainly Abraham and Sarah were not interested in him marrying a Canaanite. Okay, so he was in the land surrounded by Canaanites. Apparently, no one from his own family, um, uh, well, his own family, he's, he's the only one there, right? <laughs> but no one from Abraham's tribe, and then from the land of Canaan, he really did not want Isaac to marry a Canaanite. And oh. by that point, he was a bit possessed about himself, thinking you know, he was, knew that that wasn't what God wanted for him. For Isaac? Isaac himself knew. Yes, yeah, you might be right about that. Why? Well, let's talk about this. Why not the Canaanites? Why does he want Isaac to marry the Canaanites? We have a good understanding of the Canaanites after this. Why at this point does he not want them to marry Canaanites? No, I don't think we want to say that's the reason because he's going to marry a cousin. <laughs> they don't worship the Lord. Yeah, I would agree with that. Most of Abraham's family and Shem probably wouldn't uh, know about Yahweh either. I don't think. So, but there is God's chosen this one family, and so want to keeping it within that, keeping it within the family. Okay, let's go with that. Let's go with along the certain lines. Um, think back to Genesis chapter 9, okay, with uh, Noah. At the very end of Noah's story, um, what happened at the very, very end there? Cursed be Canaan. Cursed be Canaan, yeah. So there was this, uh, this pronouncement of a curse upon the, Can- uh, the Canaanites and a pronouncement of blessing upon the line of Shem. 
right? And so Abraham comes from the line of Shem, and of course the Canaanites come from the line of Canaan. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe Abraham knows about this curse and this blessing that is happening from chapter 9 on. Um, I think certainly also, Andrew, to your point, that they, he would not want um, Isaac uh, marrying and worshiping and intermingling with the gods of the Canaanites because he has seen um, the results of that worship, certain three, certainly through Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, I imagine that even the Canaanites now probably resemble those cities to some extent. All right, so Abraham, but what we know, what we do know is that Abraham has made it very clear he does not want Isaac to marry um, anyone from the Canaanite cities among whom he dwells. Okay, great. We'll, we'll keep going then. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good place to start. Let's uh, go to the next few verses. Chapter 5. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back from the land which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning uh, this matter. So first let's establish, okay, what is Abraham asking his servant to do? Let's just make sure. Find a wife. Okay, and then how is he supposed to do that? Okay, do you guys remember where Abraham came from? What that they might be referring to? Yeah, well, okay. So Ur is where um, his father and his family originally left from, and then they came to Haran, and that's where they settled. And so this is probably referring back to Haran. That's where, uh, that's where his family would be. Okay, so he wants to, he wants, yeah, that's right. So he, Closer family, yeah. Closer family. There was still some that were more this probably put back in Ur. Okay. Well, the family that's being referred to here, certainly, yeah. Um, now, so he wants the servant to find a wife for Isaac that's not from the Canaanites, that's from um, the line of Shem and his family up in uh, Haran. Um, and so if you, if, if you have the handout, have a map of possibly where um, the city is that they are going to be traveling to. <clears throat> okay, so we see a possible objection that the servant... Uh, raises. Um, one thing I didn't point out is uh, who is the servant, okay? So there's some speculation about who the servant might be. What did you say, Joan? Okay. So, so Joan says Eliezer. Now, you would get that from chapter 15, where Abraham was complaining to God that he didn't have a, um, an, a proper heir that God had promised him. And so he said, Eliezer... Um, would be the one to inherit my house. And so some, some have really gone, um, gone with that and said the servant must be Eliezer. It certainly could be the case. Um, but, but we're not sure, or it's not made certain uh, here in the text. And so for the future, I'll just be referring to him as the servant. If you see anywhere him referred to as Eliezer, that's why. 
um, because we see it in chapter 15. Uh, that that kind of hint that maybe that's him. Um, but we'll just refer to him as the servant. And he raises a possible objection to Abraham's plan. Um, what's the objection? Okay, what if the woman doesn't want to come? Why wouldn't the woman want to come? <laughs> Would you? <laughs> um, so what did you say, Jonathan? Leave home. Yeah. Oh, leave home, yeah, okay. I think it could be. Marry a man she's never seen before. Marry a man she's never seen before. Go to the land of the Canaanites. Go to the land of the Canaanites. Maybe they're famous. Yeah. <laughs> Say that, Angie. Happened all the time. What happened all the time? Married somebody they've never met. That's true. Maybe not just their father. Well, they might have known growing up. Okay. Arranged weddings, marriages. Very common. Very common. That part was good. I don't know if I'd be able to comment on that. Right. Okay. Now, because with this story, he's she's gonna. Well, we'll we'll see later on the story. But there are there are plenty of reasons why um, the man could imagine she might not want to come with him. Okay. There are lots of uh, reasons as to you know this old man is going to come to her and propose a marriage and. Um, she might, she or her family might say no to to this man who they don't know and just have to trust. I doubt if they had any concept of what this falling in love and getting married. They get married and then you falling in love. No, this is all about romantic love, Joan. This is all the stuff. <laughs> yeah, Joan, that's a, that's that's a fair point. Um, okay, uh, good. So the reason. Okay, so the, what was Abraham? Abraham, in my version, says, See to it that you do not take my son back to uh, the land of Haran. Okay, he, he's emphatic. My, this version says, See to it. Other versions say, Watch yourself or guard yourself or beware. All right, it's a warning. Do not take Isaac back to the land of Haran. No matter what this guy does... That's the big, most important thing. He must not take Isaac back. And I think um, we, I think the reason is clear. The Lord has promised the land to Abraham's seed. And so Isaac must stay in this land in obedience to Yahweh. Um, Oh, there you go. If yeah. there is a problem, what do you want me to do? Okay. So I think he had to get more instructions. It wasn't just saying she probably won't do it. He was he was literally saying, well, what if she doesn't? Should I take your son up Okay. He was preparing. So if y'all can hear Al, Al was saying that he was preparing for the possibility that Abraham might pass during his journey and he wouldn't know what to do next if for some reason she does say no. Um so, yeah, that's, that's a great observation. Um, how does Abraham reassure his servant in the journey? How does he reassure him? Get him to go. Yeah, and we've seen the angel of the Lord a few times so far mentioned being led, um, are leading people in the story or speaking to people. Um, so he's saying that um, 
he's kind of giving re- reassurance to the servant that the success of this particular journey is going to be dependent not on your capabilities, even though his journey is important and his obedience is important, but the Lord will prepare the way for him to make this happen. He also reassures him by saying that if she simply won't come, you're yes. also, good. You're, you're released from your own. Okay, good. So Jonathan is pointing out in verse 8, if for some reason she simply will not come, or maybe her family won't let her come, um, he reiterates, do not take Isaac there. And he says, you're freed from the oath that you have made to me, um, if that happens. And so he has uh, given him reassurance that the Lord is responsible for making this happen, but also that if for some reason she does not come, that he will not be still tied to this particular oath that they're making. Mm. Um, there probably was more than one unmarried woman. Probably. So <laughs> if she won't come, why why wasn't the instructions well try somebody else? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, is there a particular particular woman in mind? Yeah. Hmm. Well, we'll 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 keep going. We'll talk about that some more. Um, the last thing. I want to uh, observe is uh, what so Abraham is endeavoring to find a wife for Isaac okay what does that tell us about how he views the promises of Yahweh that Yahweh has made specifically to him to Abraham what does it tell us trying to God will fulfill it but there are certain things you're supposed to do too Okay, God won't. God will fulfill it, but there's certain. Well, who are you saying you? Well, I mean, I mean, I mean and just in general. Okay. And this may go back to the whole business about maybe it wasn't the smartest idea, but maybe in part of the, through the mindset, even with um, Hagar and everything, that um, God's made these promises, but we're still supposed to act in this world. All right. So you're you're getting on to a theme of of the book, which is correct. But I, I specifically want to know, what does, as far as um, Abraham's understanding of the promise, how does that relate uh, to this whole mission? Oh, and, well, more, more pragmatically, if, if Isaac is going to be the father of, of many nations. Okay, good. Yeah. As, as, as Abraham's son, then he's going he's gonna to need a, a, a wife uh, to be the mother of. Okay. The, <laughs> yeah, fantastic. So the, so the promises that God made to Abraham... Um, about his about the nations, about the land, about everything, aren't going to just stop and end with Abraham's death. They're going to continue on to a new generation, right? That's what all these chapters are about, the continuation of the promise of Yahweh to Abraham and his descendants. Um, let's go to verse 10. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Um, let's stop there. All right. So the servant, he uh, we'll find out later on that he's going to take. There's other male servants involved as well, but he takes ten camels. Okay, and that's a lot of camels. Um, so we might want to think about why is he taking ten camels? But he also takes all sorts of choice gifts from his master. Why would he be taking choice gifts? Bribes. Bribes. You said. <laughs> 
Okay. A dowry. <laughs> dowry. Um, a, um, a bridal. A bridal price. Sure. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's a a price. So if he's going to take a bride from someone, he's taking um, uh, a young woman who can from a family who can provide children, who can provide work, um, an important part of the community. And so there's a a customary practice of the bridal price where he'll be taking these expensive uh, and precious gifts like precious metals and jewelries and stuff for this bridal price. So he's anticipating that. (laughs) It communicates something. Yes. Yes. And it... Yeah. Yeah, that is really important. Absolutely, yes, um, and you're you're absolutely right. It's authenticity, because is this a message from God? It adds the authenticity that my master has been basically pleased God and won Abraham to succeed. Well, I don't know about I don't know about that. I don't know about if that's how he would take the often they would take it as you know he has money, so this must be an authentic message. I think I think they would, the message you could take is that. He has wealth, and he will be able to care for my daughter and provide us with something. But I'm not, I'm not sure about the last part. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm kind of reading that in the text. But maybe sure, sure. I'm well. I'm trying to think about what you're saying. You, I mean, I'm not sure about it. But that's but certainly what you said, um, Richard. That uh, that it communicates something about where he's coming from. And we're going to get to more about that um, in just a few verses. Go ahead, Jonathan. Price, but we also read about dowries. Hmm. So those, don't those usually come from the bride's family? So we got sort of contradictory traditions. So one for the, 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 the groom's family is providing money hmm. or whatever, and hmm. the other is where the bride's family is hmm. providing um, I'm, you know, I mean, it's sort of like it's sort of like a, a, a Christmas where you give each other a hundred dollars. I mean, you know, what's the point of it other than the than the, than the uh... Well, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to, to comment on the dowry portion of it, but this one specifically, there seems to be a need for uh, the servant to provide something. Well, I mean, um, I know it used to be the bride. You know, I, I'm really not sure. I'm really not sure, actually. But let me, let me, let's keep going and continue on because we got a lot more verses to go through. All right, verse 11. And he made the camels. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. before I go to verse 11, sorry. Um, here we say Mesopotamia. All right, the map that I gave you gives you a general idea of um, where this might be. Um, the Hebrew is Aram Naharaim. So if your translations say that, that's what it means. It's the um, Aram of the rivers or Aram of the two rivers um, refers to the Mesopotamian region. And so our map here has kind of the northern area there. Um, and so apparently there's a city there named um, Nahor, although we don't know exactly where it is. It was either named after um, Abraham's brother or his grandfather. They are both named Nahor. Um, okay. It might mean not just 
the, okay, so Jonah's saying it might not be the name, but it might just be the city of the person, Nahor. Um, verse 11, And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw the water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love uh, to my master. Okay. So the servant... Um, being a trusted man of God, but being an older man. Okay, so this, this is an older man who has to find a young woman. Okay? And so he has to find and know where the young women will be. And so he goes to the well, because apparently the young um, women of that time would be young, capable women who would be taking these jugs, these larger jugs of water, and uh, going to the well, filling them up, and hauling them back to the families. Um, and so he knows where to go to find a young woman. Um, notice in verse 12, uh, it says, O oh Lord, okay, in your versions, I'm not sure if everybody has this, but Lord, it has the big capital L, and then the little capital L's, okay, that's Yahweh, whenever you see Lord like that. Um, the servant acknowledges, just as, Yahweh, just as Abraham did, that the successful retrieval of a wife for Isaac depends Entirely upon uh, the Lord. Um, so, I'm going to get to Hesed. <laughs> we're we're going to get there. We're not, I'm not there yet. Um, but you're right. Hesed. It's in verse 12. But you got you got to let me finish, Jim. Um, <laughs> you're exactly right. Hesed is an important theme in this chapter. Okay. Um, so Jim's exactly right, um, but I'm trying to, hold on, Jim, let me see where I am now. Okay, good, there we go. Yes, yes, so you might, let's go to Hesed, let's go to Hesed, you brought it up, Jim, and that's good. Um, he's relying on, he wants God to show him success and steadfast love. Okay, the, f- the phrase you're probably familiar with is steadfast love, and that's that Hebrew word hesed. Okay, it's really, it's really hesed, the, the guttural. I can't really do it, so I'm going to say, I'm going to say hesed. Um, <laughs> someone's having trouble with his throat up here. Um, but hesed <laughs> is, is the word, and it's an important thing. We've seen uh, maybe a couple times before this when Abimelech is pleading with Abraham not to lie to him anymore. He says, please show me Hesed. And it's kind of like a covenant loyalty kindness. Don't lie to me anymore. <laughs> or, or, or Jewish. Um, <laughs> so we've seen it with Abimelech and we are going to see it very often in the Old Testament, this word hesed describes the Lord. Okay, and so when we are looking in this chapter um, at how the Lord acts and responds, if we're wondering, what, because we don't really have an English equivalent of this. We see loving kindness, steadfast love, loyal love, all these different translations of it. The best way for us to understand 
this characteristic of the Lord, Hesed, is to look at the story and see, okay, is the Lord showing, is the Lord going to grant him success? If so, um, what does it mean? What does it mean for Hesed? And what does it mean for this characteristic that the Lord has? And he's actually asking for God to show that the Lord kindness to his master. Not, mm-hmm. not so much himself, but he, he said to Abraham, he's, uh, or to my master, yeah, a couple of times. It's, mm-hmm. it's, he's supposed, it's, this, this is for Abraham. This, is, he, if you help me, you're helping Abraham. Uh, this isn't really for me that you will be doing this. If you do this, this would be for Abraham. Yeah, well, I mean... The, it, Which is the right attitude, I think, for a servant. But, I mean, it's just... It's, it's for the oath that has been made, too, especially, I think, it is, uh, it is the right attitude. Um, I think we'll, we'll see that the Lord shows love and kindness to both. Um, but you're right, is specifically for his master, Abraham. And he calls him the God of Abraham. Okay, and that's a, um, we'll see that designation a little more often now as Abraham passes on. Um, God of Abraham, and later on, God of Abraham and Isaac, and then God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Um, specifically bringing to mind this God who has worked in specific ways through specific people. Um, so he's the God of Abraham. Um, now what, the servant is asking for the Lord for a way to distinguish a specific woman. Um, how will the servant know that this is the woman that God has chosen? How will he know? He, he asked God to have her do a one, something very specific. Yes. Which, in other parts of the Bible, we kind of criticize that as prayers. First, tell us what it is. What, how will he know? He's putting out a fleece. Huh? He's putting out a fleece. Okay, yeah. no he's not. He, what he, is he doing? He's using a negative thing. <laughs> what? How will he know? You guys just, I know it's an obvious question, but how, how will he uh, know? Yes, thank you, that's right, yes. He offers, she will offer to water his camels, okay? Now, what characteristic, what characteristic will that demonstrate that really the, the Bible so far has really seemed to value, um, especially in Abraham's family? Compassion. Quality. Okay. Hospitality. Yes, good. But humility, servanthood, I was looking specifically for hospitality, but hospitality kind of embodies those. So we saw Abraham show, uh, really, he worked very hard to show hospitality to the three messengers that came to him, right? Lot as well did the same thing. He showed hospitality. And we see the lack of hospitality in the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah. and so hospitality is an important quality, and that's what he's looking for in this young woman. How will she treat, you said compassion, humility, how will she treat a complete stranger who asks her for something? Um, and so he says, the woman, he is just going to ask, he's going to ask for one thing, and the woman's going to give this hospitality. This is how he will know. Alan Ross notes, the details of this test were not arbitrarily chosen. It would indicate a kind, of, uh, a kind and industrious nature. In this woman. So if there is a woman with this kind of hospitality in the city and the servant meets her, then he will know that God is showing said to Abraham. Um, it's true he didn't ask for something arbitrary like if she wear, she's wearing gold bangles instead of silver bangles. And this is more meaningful. <laughs> right. She has her hair up and to the side instead of... On the right yeah, Exactly. Um, Is, is, they do speak, he does seem to be looking for a specific quality in her. Um, but he's also looking at really what he wants is the Lord's choice. Well, um, but, but of course, the Gideon thing is purely arbitrary because he reverses it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so yeah. this is not like that. Right. Right. This it, is, it, this it, is a, it, 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 
depends on the, is this, is this a proper way to do things, but it, it, I, I agree that it's a lot more meaningful, the, the, the test. Uh, so I think that this might be a lot, I know I'm not, I'm supposed to talk to the judge and not the other attorney, <laughs> but um, <laughs> to, me, to me this is more like praying, um, it, it, it let the, the boy open the door for my daughter if he's the one. Okay, mm. it's, it's at least related to, and it's not insane that he would do that, it's just a little bit unlikely. And this is going to be quite a bit of work, as you're going to tell us, I think. But. Yes. Yeah. All right, let's keep going. Verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. Okay, let's stop there. So we see how quickly the Lord responds. We got that word behold, that henna, right? It's supposed to make you look up and pay attention to what's, not look up from the text, but it's supposed to make you pay attention to what's happening. Um, uh, so you see, oh, here's Rebecca. Okay, and this is not the first time we've seen the name Rebecca. Where else have we seen Rebecca? It happened just a couple chapters earlier. A list of, I just answered my own question, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> a list of offspring of, of Abraham. That's right. Yes. Okay. So we have that in the end of chapter 22, after the story of Abraham, the sacrifice of Isaac, we have that genealogy and you see Rebecca. Okay. And it tells where Rebecca has come from. It's been made clear that it's the line of Shem. And here we have again, here's Rebecca. Where has she come from? She was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. Okay. So she is exactly um, from the specific people that Abraham wanted her to be from. Um, and we know the passage, the passage, the Bible is making it very clear, this is not a Canaanite woman. They're, they're saying it over and over again. This is not a Canaanite woman. Um, and so if you were the, audience, the, audience, the intended audience of the book of Genesis, which I think is the people of Israel before they enter the Canaanite territory, you're seeing here how important it is for the Lord, for Abraham, not to intermarry with the Canaanites, the people that they are about to go uh, into interact and interact with. It's important. Sadly, they didn't listen to the, the principles. Whoa, spoiler alert, Jonathan. Um, yes, they did not listen. You're right. Okay, now, uh, well, you know, okay, notice the water jar. It's, a, it's not a small water jar. It's obviously not too big that she can't carry it. But it's big enough to where, you know, she has to make these journeys to the well, and so she wants to be able to carry a significant amount. We have a picture right there in her handout. She has to carry it on her shoulder. Uh, Rebecca is not a Canaanite. She is a Shemite. Um, verse 16. The young woman was attractive in appearance, um, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring um, and filled her jar and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. Okay. And so we see the, the servant asked in a perfectly polite way, giving no hint or indication that he wants her to also um, water her camels. He just asks for a drink and she gives it to him. And so the author takes his time describing what she's doing. And so in the meantime, we're wondering, okay, is she going to give the water to the camels too? Is this the one? 
Um, verse 19, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So, they, so she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Okay, I think it might become to a surprise to you and me that the man has not yet begun to celebrate or say, yeah, this is definitely the one, because we're very sure of it as we read it. Um, but it does give the picture of a man who is very serious about his journey and, uh, and, and, uh, and does his task with uh, seriousness and diligence. Um, Abraham made a good choice. Abraham made a good choice. Yeah, he knew this guy. He knew this guy well. He made... A good choice. Okay, so we see Rebecca certainly is kind and diligent because filling up a heavy jar of water for 10 camels would be no small task. Robert Alter explains, A camel, after a long desert journey, drinks many gallons of water, and there are 10 camels here to water. So Rebecca hurrying down the steps of the well would have had to be a nonstop blur of motion in order to carry up all this water in a single jug. It's a lot of work, right? It's like... If I was Rebecca and he asked for something to drink, I don't think I would have done that. I would have been like, here's a drink. See you later. <laughs> what do you say? Oh, you can use my jar. Well, you're a little more gracious than I am. I was like, this is my jar. I can't. <laughs> okay. She has to be able to carry it. <laughs> it's a... Uh, she that's right. Well, she must be strong. She must. Be, I mean, this is what this is why he went here because this is where the young woman who'd be able to carry these things. Um, you know, if if you're someone of Sarah's age, you know, she you see you wouldn't see Sarah doing this. Um, so the young women here are carrying, and she does this incredible task: many gallons for each camel. So that times ten. And so I begin to wonder as I read this, is this why he brought the ten camels? Is so that he could test the woman? You know, I thought it was I thought it was just for transportation. I don't know. All right, verse twenty two. Long journey too. He needed a lot of camels just to carry enough supplies for him for It could be both. It could be both. All right. Verse twenty two. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels. And said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. Okay, again, reminder who this woman is. She's not a Canaanite. Um, She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. I'm making a decision here. Okay. Um, Okay, so we know he's from Abraham's family. And as you mentioned before... um, we, uh, he gives her this gold and these these trinkets. Okay, so, so not trinkets, but valuable, precious valuable, trinkets. precious trinkets. Yes, um, and so we one of the reasons, of course, might be 
uh, a reward for her diligence to him. But the other reason, as you said, probably is so that is to communicate to her family that he has come here for some sort of specific intention. At this juncture, it's also interesting that she, as a daughter, went out on the limb, I think, mm-hmm. and just said, sure, you can stay at my house, without her getting her family's approval. Oh, I didn't think about that. But yeah. think about it, because uh, she's just <laughs> a young daughter. She's right. Like, sure, her, you know? <laughs> right, right. I mean, she yeah. Right, right. There does seem to be an assumption that her family would say yes, but that's a that's a good observation. I didn't think about that. That's the way they did things. Well, that's the way you would hope they would do things. Certainly, yeah. <laughs> okay. Joan, Joan, getting a getting a little more assertive. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're right. So if this if this is a family um, who practices hospitality, it would be more probably it might be more problematic if she didn't. Yeah. I just think of my kids when they were growing up, they didn't have the authority to say, "Yeah, you can spend the right. No, no, no. We're we're not quite as hospita- hospitable as these people are, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Andrew, yes. Mm-hmm. It went on her nose. It says right. Later on, okay, during his retelling of the story, maybe, is where it says, I saw a nose, I remember seeing a nose ring somewhere. Um, yeah, I don't know how that would look, yeah. But. I don't know what it would imply. What I think we can garner from this is that he is trying to um, not only reward her, but communicate something to her family. I don't know if that would imply engagement or not. I haven't, nothing I read, you know, indicated that. Yeah, it's a good question, though. <laughs> this is not an, a, an example for us to follow. That's right. All right, verses, verse 29. Let me... Uh, okay. I might... I think I have to stop here. I think I'm going to stop here. Um, you guys are right. I couldn't get through the whole chapter. Um, let's... Well, I think I'm going to stop here. So let's think about Hesed then, okay? Because we can at least get that from this passage. If we were following this and we, you know, the, the servant was asking the Lord to show his master Hesed. And we we're wondering about that word. And this is a word that's going to characterize the Lord that he says about himself, he shows Hesed. And then prophets and everyone else in the Old Testament is going to say this about the Lord, that the Lord is full of Hesed. Um, what is one characteristic of Hesed that we can get from this short story? If you, if you had to say this is what Hesed is, just from this story, what do you think it would be? Faithfulness. Comes to mind. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. What do you mean by faithfulness? God is faithful. He will, he will perform. He will do what He promised. He okay. promises they would inherit. Okay. Has said is is the faithfulness of the Lord to do the things that He promised. Okay. It, I think it, it's used. I mean, often translated as loving kindness. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's there's both that element. I mean, I mean, sure. I, it's kind of nice in the sense that there's this uh, from the heart love. Kindness is also in action. You know, it's it's um, 
mean, it doesn't have to be, but I mean, it's kind of an implied. There, there, there's, there, there's, there, there are actions that are being being done for whoever the, the whoever the recipient of the loving kindness is. Things are being okay. done for. It's prompted by the motivation from the heart, but it's, it doesn't stop there. Okay, so it's not just this passive emotion. <laughs> it's a an active um, response. The examples that we've seen, yeah. Okay. Romans twenty-eight. You're gonna to have to say Romans twenty-eight. I don't have that memorized. <laughs> Do I have the right verse? I'm trying to think. Okay. God works together with all things. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. I'm not. I'm not quick on the spot. Um, <laughs> let me. Uh, God works all things for together for good for those. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Um, well, let me end with this, all right? So what I find fascinating here is the kind of interaction of we know God is going to be the one responsible. It's made very clear through his retelling of the story that God is the one responsible for the events that have occurred and for bringing the servant. Um and for bringing Rebecca to the servant. So we, and yet the servant is also very faithful and obedient. And so there's this interaction between God's sovereign will and the, the faithful obedience of the servant. You know, it's both. The, the servant obeys, and, the God, and God is faithful to give the servant what he needs and to provide for the servant. The servant publicly professed that. And the servant, that's right. And there, there's the public profession of who is doing this for, um, for him. It's the Lord. And he says that but in front of Rebecca. That's important. Yeah. He says in front of Rebecca, who is responsible for this? It's, it's the Lord, the God of Abraham, Yahweh. That's right. Um, Which may, may have been, you know, not, not only just a, a public affirmation, but it's almost a test, too. Like what's her reaction going to be to him saying that? It's, it's, she's like, well, who are you talking about? And why do I want to have to deal with, you know, for her to go from where she is all the way to the land of Canaan, I think they're to follow this man and this Yahweh. Um, you know, there certainly is a response of faith, I think. Um, but let me end, okay? I think something we can get from this brief story that maybe um, at, that Al is going to have to finish next week um, is if we learn anything about Hesed, is that the the Hesed of the Lord. Like you said, Jim, it's certainly faithful. It's loyal. It's steadfast. You see all these translations for the word because they all describe what's going on. Steadfast, loyal, kind, faithful, love to the promises that he has made. And uh, um, he keeps promises to his people, but also he uses the faithful obedience of those who trust him to carry out his purposes. Um, And I think that's important, too. That God is faithful, but he responds to our faithful obedience to him. He uses the faithful obedience to carry out his purposes for our lives and for the world. Um, So I hope that's something that you'll remember, um, even though it doesn't seem like it's happening, and even though God doesn't respond to us in the ways that we expect him to respond to us. But throughout the week and every day, as we are faithfully obeying the Lord, um, he certainly does respond in hesed. Right, and that loving kindness and that faithfulness. The servant asked uh, God to bless Abraham. 
The servant certainly seems to have a good understanding of the history behind Abraham and the Lord and was. God led the, for the, the servant and Rebecca to meet each other. The servant and Rebecca acted, reacted as they should. There was, there was, there was both. There was, there was God acting yeah. and there was the people acting. Yeah. Just like we see today. Yeah, well, I don't, yeah, and I don't want to get too far ahead to Rebecca's response because I was going to have to get to that next week. But uh, let me, let me, but you're right, Jonathan. Let me go ahead and close and, and pray for us this morning. Our Father in heaven, God, we are thankful for your said. We are thankful for your steadfast love that it is always that way. And as we see throughout all of Scripture, through Genesis, Exodus, through all the books, through the major prophets, the minor prophets, Lord, um, you are consistently faithful and loyal to us. And God, I pray that that will elicit a response from us this week to rely on your love and faithfulness and loyalty to us, to rely on that as we faithfully obey you and the things you have called us to do and how you have called us to live in obeying your word. So as we hear from your word today, as we're reminded of it, um, help us to live faithful obedience lives, Lord, remembering that you are consistently faithful to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.